You're welcome. Thanks, Pete. A uh, couple disclaimers. I don't have waterproof mascara, so it could get ugly. Um, and the other thing is, when I speak with Pete, usually I'm going off an outline. And um, I haven't done my faith journey before, so I'm going to be reading it, and I hope that's okay. I'm Beth, and I'm here with my husband, Eddie. We have four daughters. Uh, we live in Plymouth. Our kids are 25, 20, 18, and Mallory's turning 15 tomorrow. Today, I'm in front of you as a child of God, a wife, a mother of four daughters, and a businesswoman who is flawed. Each day, I need to be reminded to be a better steward with the gifts I have been given, my husband, my family, my job, and my skills. As a person who struggled for many years with her identity, I am grateful to share my story with you. I'm going to give you some glimpses into my life, and hopefully you will see God's fingerprints all over it. I've not shared my faith journey before, but when Pete asked me, I was reminded of 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Daily, I need to remember it's not about what God has done for me, but what have I done for him with what he gave me? Sharing a faith journey is personal, but I hope my life experiences can help you in some way. My faith journey begins with my parents. I was adopted at three weeks old by Roger and Mariel. They're amazing people who were told they couldn't have children. They adopted my older brother in 1968 and then put in the paperwork for me at Lutheran Social Services. They got me two years after Peter. Then God, who has a sense of humor, blessed our family with my little brother, who was born only 17 months after me. We grew up in St. Cloud, and I had a wonderful childhood. But at 13, I really struggled with being adopted, and I had trouble with the fact that someone gave me up. My parents never knew I was struggling with this issue. They were amazing. They treated all three of us equally. I was never called adopted. I was their daughter, and my parents loved me very much but something in me was missing. I was a good kid, but I definitely pushed the limits. I had a lot of similarities to my family, but I had so many questions. Who did I come from? Why did they give me up? Are they alive? Are they hippies? Did they get married? Do I have siblings? I didn't share these questions with anyone. What I wish I understood then was that God was the one who created me and loved me, and that I could find my identity in him. During my struggles, God was always looking out for me. I had amazing role models and mentors. My Aunt Betty, who would take me in whenever I fought with my parents, and she taught me how to cook and sew. And then there was my Grandma Mabel, whose farm I stayed at every summer from third grade through high school. My grandma and I were tight. I believe every child needs these adults in their life that aren't their parents that can just love on them. When I was in high school, I was in youth group and very close to my youth minister. I loved Wednesday night Luther League, and I was active in church, and I felt close to God. But even though I was close to him, I still wondered who I was and how did I fit in. One night when I was a sophomore in high school, I was staying at a friend's house whose parents were not home. I had a crush on a 22-year-old that worked with my girlfriend. She was having a party at her house that night, and he said he would be coming over. I was excited. My parents trusted me and never really checked on us or our plans. He never showed up to the party, so I was crushed. We were all drinking and having fun, and I went to bed in her sister's room by myself. 
Late in the night, he showed up. He pulled me off the bed, and he started raping me. I remember saying no, but it didn't matter. He left shortly after and told me he would call me. That never happened. I never told anyone this until I met my husband. I had buried it. I've told 20 people until now, so... <sighs> after this happened, I really didn't care too much about myself, my grades. I went out all the time. I was just trying to forget. I got in trouble, and it didn't matter. I was numb to everything. One night when I got in trouble, I even told my parents, put me back up for adoption. That had to hurt. I felt like I had lost everything that I told was special to me. I wondered, where was God? Was there a God? And why did he let this happen? I know today that God was always beside me because my behaviors were very dangerous, and I am still here to talk about it. God had a plan for me. I just had no clue what it was. Jeremiah 29.11 tells us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and plans to give you hope for a future. I was in trouble a lot, and my parents were very frustrated. They didn't know why. Senior year, my dad told me I better get my grades up or I wouldn't get into college. I did get my grades up because I wanted to leave St. Cloud as fast as I could. I applied to many colleges all out of state, and I settled on Arizona. I was excited to go. In February of senior year, I was at the mall shopping in St. Cloud, buying a pair of jeans, and I noticed the Army recruiting station. I think this was divine intervention because I'm not the military type. I walked over and I met with a recruiter. I was only 17 years old, so I couldn't sign myself up for the Army. So I went home and I told my parents I wanted to join the Army Reserve. <laughs> my mom was shocked. She was, did not want her daughter in the service. And my dad said, nope, I think she needs to do this. So he went back with me and signed me up. Up until this point, I started many things and I quit them. And I hated that trait about myself. I started piano, French horn, flying lessons, softball, choir, just to name a few. I left three weeks after graduating high school because I was so scared I would back out. My plan was to do basic training and get my skill training and then go to Phoenix for college and start in the fall and do the reserves on the weekend. On the way to the airport for basic training, I had one question. So I looked at my recruiter and I asked him, you mentioned a push-up. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is that? He said it was a 10. I didn't know how to do a push-up. I get on the plane, I head to Fort Dix, New Jersey, and I get to the base, and there's these people who are yelling at me all the time called drill sergeants, and I'm kind of questioning what the heck did I sign up for. They tell me to go over there and do a push-up. I fall flat on my face. Then they told me to go over there to this little special area. I was going to go to fit camp. Today, the Army wouldn't even take me. So me and some friends went to fit camp. I had never worked out in my life. I was the catcher in baseball because you didn't really have to run or softball. The first chance I got to use the phone, I called home. My dad wouldn't even come to the phone. I said, Mom, get me out of this army thing. These people are mean. You know a senator, and get me home. And they said, nope, you can do this. I started praying. I had lost God, but he was right there with me. 
He gave me more amazing people to go alongside of me and be with me. And as a grunt soldier, you are nothing, and so is everybody with you. We all came from different backgrounds, but we were all in the same boat. I got to start over. I got a new path. I know today this is one of the best decisions I ever made. I found myself. I had a new belief in myself that I mattered and that I was strong mentally and physically. Many times during fit camp, they give you an opportunity to leave because we're the rejects. It took everything in my power to stay, but I did, and I finished. After three weeks, I could do enough push-ups to go to actual basic training. Before I had left for the Army, I'd asked my mom to order some paperwork from Lutheran Social Services that would tell me the basics about my birth parents. It came my first week of fit camp. The letter had a sentence or two about my immediate family, their hair color, their eyes, their height, uh, how old they were. I learned that they had siblings and what my grandparents did. I learned my mom was 21 when she had me and my dad was 20. The letter said that my dad played high school and college sports. That was a gift from God. I knew that since my dad was an athlete, I could do this. Now, I do have to admit, I was a tad bit like Private Benjamin. If you remember the movie, she played me really well. I ended up leaving the Army doing 41 push-ups, boy style, running the mile in six minutes. I never even knew I could run. I prayed all the time God would help me with every issue and every task they gave me, and he did. Due to my issues with the push-up, I was called recycled. My plans all had to change. I wasn't going to get done in time to go to Arizona. I wasn't going to go to ASU, and I said to myself, I'll start the next year. So my new plan was I would finish basic and legal secretary school, and then I would go home to St. Cloud and go to St. Cloud State for one year and then I would do the reserves at Fort Snelling. Little did I know that God had his own plan for me. I was never going to Arizona. I met a great guy my sophomore year, Eddie. He's my gift from God. Right from the moment, I knew he was the one for me, and I told him he was. But I was dating someone else at the time, so I did have to deal with that little detail. <laughs> this year, we will celebrate 26 years of marriage. If I had done my plan, I wouldn't be here, and we would have never met. It has taken me a while to learn this, but when I let go and I let God, he does a pretty good job with our lives. I'm a tad bit of a control freak and a planner, and I have to realize when my plans get changed, it's okay, and it's probably for the better. I graduated from St. Cloud State in 92, and I moved to Deep Haven. I got a job as a real estate assistant, and I fell in love. I loved selling homes. I left my boss, and I went on my own at six months after working for him. Eddie and I got married shortly after that, and my plan was to take over the real estate world, and Eddie's was to work in graphic design. We had a pretty big surprise one month later. We had a pregnancy test, and it was positive. I immediately called Grandma Mabel, and she said, that's great. God gives them, and we take them. I was 22. Chelsea was born in March, and we became parents. Even with awful morning sickness and having a baby, I still became Rookie of the Year that year at my company. Eddie had his first job where he was a creative director, 
And a few months later, the owner of that company came to him and said she was going to close the doors and would he like to take her book of business. Huge blessing. In my second year of selling homes, I doubled my sales from the year before. I sold a house two weeks after Chelsea was born, and she went with. And I don't tell you this to brag. I tell you I was already a workaholic, and I was trying to prove how successful I was. For the next year, my career soared, but my marriage and family life suffered. I was never home, and Eddie was raising our daughter pretty much by himself. He also managed to grow his design firm. By this time, I was top 10% of the nation of all realtors, and I was 26 years old. We had a lot of nice things to show for my work and Eddie's work. We had cars and a house and stuff and went out with friends. And this is what I thought was important, status. How much money we made and that I could buy whatever I wanted. The only thing that I was looking for was success. And in my company's eyes and other people's, I had it. In 1998, I sold over 65 homes. I had two assistants and I had, was 28. The other side of the story wasn't pretty. Eddie and I were on totally different pages. Our marriage was suffering along with our home life and something had to give. I got warnings from my friends, my parents, my family, and my husband saying I was gonna regret missing out on Chelsea's life and his. And then finally, Eddie said, we need counseling. I said, do we have a problem? I didn't know. I knew something was wrong, but I wasn't sure because it was all about me and my career and my success and my goals. After a lot of long discussions and feeling something was missing from our lives, I chose to leave real estate and never look back. In 1998, we had baby number two, Abby. I went to work part-time with Eddie. Big mistake. I still had a tad bit of an ego, and I thought, I could run this company. I lacked respect for everything he had created, and I took all of his hard work for granted. And we had to work through this. You know, to be honest, I would have fired me if I'd been him. But I married a very patient man. In 2001, we had our third daughter, Ruby, and we continued to work together. Again, on the outside, we looked good. Three kids. We had a bigger house, a new office, six employees. And we did a lot of fun stuff. We had lots of friends. And we went to church a little bit. In a worldview, we looked successful. But we knew something wasn't right. Something was missing. We were just living. We weren't close to each other. It was just okay. We went to church every Sunday, but that was it. 2004, we added a fourth daughter to the family. And the next year, Dave and Lisa invited us to come up here to Family Fest. I have to say it was a life-changing moment for us as a couple and for our family. The speaker that year, was standing up talking about him and his wife. And he said, in marriage, for him, God comes first, everything else, or my wife, sorry, and everything else. It clicked in me, and I wanted that. Eddie and I chatted for hours, wondering how could we get these priorities he talked about and this full feeling he described. We figured out our priorities were messed up, and we needed to change them. We did a lot of things, and we added faith-based events and got in Bible studies. We brought God into every aspect of our life. The majority of our work was spent on our marriage and making the other spouse feel special. God never left us, but I'd forgotten him. 
He had blessed us greatly, and I thought it was because of what I had done. Our eyes were open to his grace, and we made drastic changes in our marriage and faith walk to incorporate him in everything we did. The spark was lit, and life was full. 2007 to 2010, we were working on God's team, and we included him in every aspect of our life. But life wasn't easy for us. The economy was tough. We were both drawing a salary from the company, but we relied on God as our CEO, and he changed everything for us. We knew we'd be okay. We prayed about everything and tried to follow his will. We had to go through all of our savings, and we didn't take a paycheck for quite a while so we could keep our company going. I remember crying to God, please provide, and he always did. We had so much support from my parents. Even though our finances were stressful, because we had made the changes in our, prior, our life prior, our walk with God, it was part of our journey. We went through it together, and we trusted in God, and he walked right beside us. 2010, things start to turn around, and we get back on our feet. But we have a lot of life changes happening in our family. We find out that Abby, daughter number two, has an eating disorder, and we catch her drinking. We take her to treatment, and we think the eating disorder is okay. We also get her some counseling for depression. In fall of 2012, our oldest graduates high school, and it, or spring of it, kills me. I cry all the time. What's our family going to look like without her here? She's going all the way to Missouri. I love that child, and now she's leaving. We did okay. End of 2012, I get an amazing offer to come back to real estate and sell a 63-unit condo complex in Wyzetta. I took the job. Eddie's company is doing well, and we moved that to Wyzetta also. In 2013, I realized I took a really big job. It was a $63 million project, and I was the only salesperson. My stress levels were unbelievable, but life was pretty good. At that time, we started learning that Abby was self-medicating. She kept it hidden pretty well. Her grades never dropped. She worked a lot, and she was a great kid. But then we started catching her drinking and doing drugs. She spent most of her sophomore year grounded. We didn't know, do you treat the depression or do you treat the drinking? This was uncharted waters for us. You worry about shame and stupid things. You worry that you're going to make a mistake and maybe one night she won't come home. We had no one to call to deal with this. We took her into an evaluation at Hazelden and they admitted her and she did 28 days there. During that time, they teach us we didn't cause it, we can't cure it, and we can't control it. As a parent, that was an awful saying because all I wanted to do was fix it and fix my baby. After she's been there 28 days, they suggest that she should go to another treatment center in Rockford, Illinois. We questioned that, but we did what they told us because they know everything. Having her five year hours away was awful at 16 years old. On the 40th day of her treatment there, we get a call, and they tell us that she's run away. It's the worst day of our life. Eddie and I decide that I'll drive to Rockford, and he'll stay back in case she comes home. Halfway through my drive, she calls Eddie, and he says, your mom's on her way. Give her a call. She calls me, and I ask, where are you? She says, I'm at a hotel. I ask her to stay there, and I will be there in two hours. 
She tells me she doesn't know if she'll still be around. I don't know if that means she's going to die or keep running. I call the treatment center, and luckily they know what hotel she's at, and the police go and grab her. Thank God. We didn't cause it, we can't cure it, and we can't control it. Only God can fix this. I have to let her go. Luckily, God brings some of my clients alongside of me that were older and had had children go through this. And they gave us a lot of support and they gave us hope. Because that's all you want as a parent when your kid's struggling with addiction. We also had a family from Family Fest that came alongside of us. Right now, we are in function mode. When will this end? How will we get through it? I realize I have to give my child back to God. And I pray. And I say, dear God, you love her more than I do. Please take her back and please be with her. After 140 days, she leaves treatment and chooses to be sober. We find a sober high school in Minneapolis, a wonderful AA group in Richfield. It isn't easy, but she does it. 2017, she graduates from the sober high school, and I have to tell you today, she's two and a half years sober. She's a sophomore at Augsburg, and they have a great program called Step Up for kids with addiction so they can live in a dorm and have a normal life. I am thankful to God for being beside her the whole way, for sober high schools, for sober college programs. I'm so thankful for AA and the amazing family we have been blessed with. At the end of that year, I leave the developer and I decide I'm going to go on real estate on my own. The stress levels are too high. Life is good. We've got two kids at home. Chelsea decides to join my real estate team. Ruby is now a senior and Mallory is a freshman in high school. And one of our goals, we notice how close the girls are, and we want to nurture those relationships. So we start taking family trips, just the six of us, and give them time to spend together. Both the businesses are doing well, and we feel blessed. Ruby starts picking colleges, and everything seems to be fine. But I feel it tugging at my heart. I think I've gotten busy again. I feel God asking me, are you putting me in your life? And I wonder if he's still my priority. I know everything comes from him, and I know I'm blessed, but I got busy, and I kind of got in that mode of, I can do it all. I decided that at the end of the year, I'm going to start getting back in God's word and get my priorities in check. So 2018 ends, and we are excited to see what 2019 is going to bring. January 2nd, I'm at work, and I get a text from Mallory's friend. She asked me if I could go check on her, and something just sunk in my gut. Her friend shared with me that she was getting some texts from Mallory, and she was very sad. I get in my car to drive the mile and a half home, and I'm praying, God, don't let this be bad. At the stop sign, three quarters of a mile from home, I meet the ambulance. I plead, please, God, don't let that be for me. We pull in the neighborhood, and the ambulance pulls over, so I'm like, whew, relief but I pull into my driveway to two police cars. I call Eddie and I tell him it's bad, come home. The ambulance pulls up, I run in the house to find the police and Mallory in the bathroom where she's having a seizure. They tell me she called 911, but she's taken a lot of pills and they're not sure what. The paramedics take her and get her in the ambulance and I ride with her to Children's Hospital. The minute we get there, she has a very long seizure. This one causes them to intubate and sedate Mallory. 
We don't know why, how, or what for over 24 hours. I pray the Lord's Prayer over and over while they remove her clothes and her jewelry and attach many things to her body. All of our family has now gotten to children's. The doctors are trying to bring down her Tylenol levels and stop the seizures. We head to ICU, another worst day of my life. She had a major anxiety attack. She told us later, I didn't want to die, Mom. I just wanted it to stop. We knew she'd been sad, but we didn't know what was going on. We knew she'd been bullied and found out it was still going on by friends. She had been bearing everything, and it, that bothered her, just like her mom. Her friends and her school were her two major issues. We don't find out any of this till two days later, later when she can finally talk to us. I have to tell you, my heart goes out to any parent whose child has committed suicide. I believe it is a moment of temporary insanity, and they just want that pain to go away. They don't want to die. I thank God for all four of our daughters. I thank God that Mallory called 911. I thank God for the police and the paramedics and the doctors who knew what to do. I thank God our sweet Mallory is still here. She's getting the help that she needs personally and at school. She's learning to have her own voice and share when things hurt or bother her. This one's a little fresh, <laughs> but I know Jesus loves our sweet Mallory more than we do. And he has a plan for her and all our girls. We have had many trials over our 26 years together, but we have had so many more blessings. I'm blessed to have two amazing partners in my life who have never left me and always support me, God and Eddie. The best thing is going through life with someone that you can share everything with, the good and the bad. We may not know the answers today to why we have had these trials, but we know God is our Savior, and we are on the winning side, and evil will be conquered. When I feel I'm being attacked by evil, I just need to cling closer to God and those who love and support me. When I feel, oh, sorry, I said that line. <laughs> I need to start each day grateful and have a list of what I need to remember I'm thankful for. I have to be honest and tell you some days are pretty hard and I'm not sure I can bear everything I have. So I have a pity party and then I make a list of what I'm thankful for. We were never told that life would be easy. But Deuteronomy 31.8 tells us the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you and never forsake you. And do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And I know he went before Mallory. Reflecting on my journey, I can see God's fingerprints all over it. I know when you're feeling something is missing in your life and you're not complete, it's God that you need. I know the trials that have happened to us help us to relate to others who have been through similar things. But I'm kind of asking God, could you quit making me relate to so many people? <laughs> Please be sure to take a look at your life and look for the fingerprints that God has all over it and share them with others. Thank you.